This episode of the Colton Culture Podcast is presented by Thunder Road Guitars. Thunder Road Guitars is the Pacific Northwest best source of premium, new, used, and vintage guitars, amplifiers, and pedals. Online or in their Seattle and Portland shops, you'll find fantastic customer service and a terrific vibe. Real people offering real service. Use code ColtCulture10 to get 10% off at www.thunderroadguitars.com. The DistroKid app is available for iOS and Android. You can now get an additional 30% off if you go to distrokid.com forward slash VIP forward slash Colt. That's distrokid.com forward slash VIP forward slash Colt. Or you can get it in the App Store. The new gold standard of audio repair, Isotope RX-11, is coming in May. In the meantime, you can buy RX-10 now, on sale, and get RX-11 absolutely free when it's released. Colton Culture listeners get 10% off by using the code FRET10. F-R-E-T-1-0, that's code FRET10 at isotope.com, I-Z-O-T-O-P-E.com. This is Colton Culture. I'm Justin Pearson. And I'm Luke Kinshaw, and we're here at Penguin Studios in San Diego, California. This is the first uh, official Colton Culture podcast. Um, it's sort of morphed from a brief little snippet interview kind of thing into um, the first full-length podcast. Episode 1. Here we are with Tim Mays. <laughs> hello, hello. <laughs> so how would we... Um, what what kind of like label would we give you? Uh man, that's a good question. Uh, my the, the main amount of work I do is booking shows for, you know, Casbah, but then everywhere outside of that too. So, talent bar, but talent buyers probably apt. But then I own the Casbah too, so I don't know. Club owner, promoter, concert promoter. Oh, yeah, okay. yeah. There you go. And 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 specific to San Diego. Yeah, specific to San Diego. You ever do anything out of San Diego? I have not. Yeah. Uh, out at uh, Pioneer Town, oh, Happy and yeah. Harriet's, maybe once a year. Okay, yeah. Right. So I would, I want to know where you, how you got the start. I guess first of all, let's just figure that out. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, when I was a kid, I grew up in Barstow, Whoa. on the desert. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's pretty gnarly. <laughs> and uh, my mom still lives out there, but uh, the heat really did me in. So I can go. I can't go back there during the summertime at yeah. all. But. When I was a when I was a teenager, I started going to see shows down in San Bernardino in Los Angeles. Wow. First show I ever went to was at the Forum in L.A. with Sly and the Family Stone, probably about seventy two, and then we'd go to a place called Swing Auditorium in San Bernardino and uh, saw Led Zeppelin there, Black Sabbath, yes, uh, God, who else? Uh, probably ZZ Top, uh, a few other bands, big bands that would play there, you know. And then uh, I moved down here to go to school in uh, 73, 73, and I lived in the dorm, and and I lived next door to these two kind of well-off kids from Pacific Palisades, and they went up, uh, saw Bowie at Santa Monica Civic in whatever year, 72, I think that was, first time he came over. And so I kind of got turned on to David Bowie by those guys, and then started listening to you know, Bowie and Lot the Hoople and Lou Reed and Velvet Underground and Iggy and all that stuff. And then I, ha- I had a good friend who I grew up with in Barstow who lived in Santa Ana. And we started going up to Los Angeles to see, uh, you know, punk rock shows at Hong Kong Cafe, Starwood, Whiskey, wherever, you know. And we got this crazy idea, like, let's put on a show. <laughs> so we rented a hall in uh, East Hollywood called Basie's Hall. Uh, it was the... But you were living in San Diego. I was living in San Diego. My friend (laughs) lived in Santa Ana. But we didn't, you know, we just thought, let's do it in L.A. Because all the bands we went to see were always from up there. So we rented this hall. And it was on Vermont right off of Sunset. And uh, we got uh, the Weirdos, the Plugs, Suburban Lawns, and then the Penetrators from down here. Okay. We booked them all to play. And we put this show on it. It did really, really well. Uh, like amazingly well, we'd go up there every week and put out flyers on the street. Yeah. That's back when yeah, you could of nail, you know, <laughs> yeah. do them to phone poles and stuff. And uh, there, at the same time down here, there was a girl named Laura Fraser who started the Skeleton Club, and she somehow got a hold of me 
after she heard about this show I did in L.A. and asked if I wanted to be her partner because she needed somebody to invest some money. So I gave her a thousand bucks and became her partner. Wow! And the Skeleton Club was on Second uh, and Market downtown. Uh-huh. At the time, it was two blocks away from the police department. Fuck the police. So the cops would cruise by, you know, all the time, yeah. and come out and harass people. Yeah. And there were these really weird, arcane rules about dance permits where you couldn't, you could have a concert license for all ages, but it wouldn't allow dancing. And so we wanted to do all ages, so we had a concert license. So they'd come in and bust people for pogoing or dancing. Whoa. So they'd get, we'd get cited. So you could get the dance permit, but then it limited your age to 17 and up. So it was kind of a weird thing that the city had. So after about five months, we just kind of closed, folded up. And uh, I started uh, managing a band called The Unknowns at the time, who were playing a lot. And uh, then started booking some shows with uh, Mark Rude. Uh-huh. And a couple other people in a company, they had a thing called Dead or Alive. And so I joined up with them, and we did shows at the Lions Club, Fairmount Hall, and uh, bands like Angelic Upstarts and uh, Misfits and Black Flag and Circle Jerks and stuff like that. Then those guys all got kind of burned out on it, so I just kept doing it myself. And like 82, 83, started doing things at Adams Avenue. Okay. Uh, which was a you know really great venue, held about nine hundred people. Which is now the it's now the fabric, fabric place on store. Adams. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was a really cool place. I mean, we did so many great shows there. there. There was that famous Slayer one there, right? Where there's a riot. Did yeah, you do that show? yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. The Slayer, and uh, we had uh, we had Motorhead booked there once, and it we didn't get the right permits, so the show was canceled, and people broke into the place and trashed it. And that was kind of the end of my thing. That was like I think late eighty four, eighty five. But uh, then I just started doing, uh, I was doing shows at Spirit Club, too, which is now Brick by Brick. Yeah. And so I did that for a while, and then uh, I kind of stopped about 85, 86. There was a lot of skinhead violence back in those days. White power, one, two, three, four! You know, people, these San Diego skinheads, SDSH, which it would terrorize people, and terrorize bands yeah. and i just got tired of it me and my friends opened the pink panther which was a bar uh-huh. i completely stopped doing shows for a couple of years um till we opened the casbah okay. the first location yeah which is where kava lounge is now we, yeah. we did we opened there in 89 so where was the pink panther it was over on marina boulevard um oh it's not there anymore it's next door there's a place next door now called the high dive okay which is next door to where the pink panther was um and that was just a beer bar with uh-huh. a jukebox and we'd have DJs. It was it was like the first bar opened by young people. Sure. For young people yeah. at the time. So it was crazy. For we lasted there about four and a half years. Um then the Casbah opened and we the original idea was just to do kind of local, you know, rockabilly, some jazz, some real real light stuff. Sure. And phones started ringing again, yeah. you know, from people <laughs> that I'd worked with. Yeah. Yeah. And uh you know, we we ended up booking in the first year. Well, then Harlan Schiffman, who had the, he was doing all the shows with Iguanas. He started booking his shows there rather than the Spirit Club. So he booked Nirvana and Smashing Pumpkins, uh-huh. and a lot of those bands were were through him. Okay. And then uh, you know who else played there? Like Primus played there really early on. Uh, the Jazz Butcher, uh, Lemonheads, uh, Goo Goo Dolls before they got shitty. <laughs> a lot, a lot of bands came. You know, it was uh-huh. seventy-five capacity, but there was they would rather play there than the Spirit Club, which was three times as big, just because the people who ran the Spirit Club sucked. Yeah. So that kind of just started, and then we moved to our current location in what ninety-four, and slowly over the years, just as the bands came through, they would get bigger, and so they would remain loyal, and so we started looking at bigger places as they got bigger to put them in, you know? So, and now it's just crazy. I mean, it would, any given night, like tonight, we got like four, four shows going on, wow, that's, you know? That's and so it's like that. And it's just, you know, so it's based at concert promotion company now with the Casbah. And I've got, you know, people running the Casbah, so I don't have to be there all the time. Sure. And uh, that's, that's how it started. <laughs> so it's crazy because when I was, I'm, a, a little bit younger so i i remember like the cas the first casbah i would go and look because you could watch from the 
I was under 21. Yeah, I you was, could see through the <laughs> door. Yeah, and, there. I, and I would, you know, all these rad bands would go there. And I mean, I went to the Spirit Club too. I really, I went to see like, um, saw Gigi Allen and No Means No. Right, so. right. But yeah, there we, you we turned that Gigi Allen <laughs> show down. <laughs> My partner idea. Bob got the call and he said, What about, I said, <laughs> I didn't want to do it, man. Yeah, so yeah. I would uh, I would watch so many. I've seen so many shows outside the door of yeah. the first Casbah, and it was funny because then I you know kind of grew up with this sort of like Discord ethics, you know, and, oh, yeah. and like Mike Denny from uh, Amenity and stuff. We were like the all ages group, right. and so it never became. It was never even a question. Like none of our friends' bands or bands that we were related to that would play there. Well but aware, you, well aware. Yeah, I, know. <laughs> I tried many times. But you were always so awesome and would book us at other venues when, yeah, when that I started mean, happening. Yeah, later yeah, on, right. Know, like the, like the, the, the uh, epicenter. Yeah, epicenter. Right. But all all kinds of places, and and um, it's rad too for me. I mean, not to I don't want to sidetrack, but like I, I was psyched that like when I did compromise my own personal all age morals and played a twenty one and up show, it was it was at the Casbah. Yeah, with I, and I was we were stoked. Yeah. You know, I mean that was a long time in the coming. <laughs> was, the fans were getting yeah, too old to yeah, go to the epicenter anymore. But, yeah, but but, but, <laughs> but like, a good thing to talk about though is like why why do you think San Diego is so friggin' tough about all ages? Because well, it doesn't it, happen in other cities. in a lot of other cities. You know, and I, I may be wrong, but I think the all ages venues that outside of Soma and now the Observatory, well, Soma recently started serving beer and wine. But Soma's got such a bad rep over the years, and it's yep. that guy didn't put any money into re- rejuvenating his place at all for uh-huh. 25 years. Finally, he's making some changes there, yeah. but it wasn't a good place to see a show. The epicenter sucked way out there. But you, you would know? book shows. At, well, I would. Uh, I would still Soma. do shows there, but I guess there was no place of about a four or five hundred capacity located in a good location where you could do a show that would, people would enjoy going to. Sure, you know. So, um, other cities that have clubs that have those capacities they're able to serve booze i think a lot of them a lot of them aren't as strict as san diego so the bottom line is it's hard to make money just as an all-ages thing like those epicenter shows you know yeah we'd go in and pay rent and you'd have to then do the advertising of vans and staff and you know you got the door money but it wasn't always enough to to make it work yeah sure we did some shows there with some bands that should have done really well and didn't, you know. Because no one wanted to go up. Well, that's there. part of the reason, yeah, yeah. for sure. I mean, it huh. was a, just such an out-of-the-way place. But there's never been a location in San Diego where you could go, say, find a show. I mean, the Irenic <laughs> now, 400 capacity, oh. all ages. Granted, they can't do, we could never have done something like the Locust there. Yeah. But, you know, we do a ton of shows there, and it's it's good, and it's people like it. And it's, it's a good place to see a show. And yeah. It's, Right, I mean, everybody's close to it. So, but San Diego's always been, been. There's never been a place like that you could do, that kind of thing. You know, I get funny after all these years now. People are, some agents are asking me to book shows up at the Shea Cafe. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, I mean, I did shows back there in the '80s, but yeah. I hadn't done one in years. And, you know, we did a couple. A Dashboard Confessional wanted to do a show there, so uh-huh. we booked it like two days notice and you know sold out really quick yeah and then we did a couple others but dealing with the staff and the students up there yeah it's kind of not you know not the easiest thing to do so nobody are, gets back to you or what are they what are the agents um, when they say they want to play the they Jay? just want to play something that's nostalgic kinda, well nostalgic or really small and cool uh, yeah in their minds it's cool yeah. you know the 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 whole history of it and all the stuff that you know i think when the place almost got bulldozed a year and a half ago two years ago there was probably a lot of uh press on it all over so people became aware of it that and so it's on people's radar yeah i mean it's like our gilman street oh yeah completely completely and um so yeah we we're we're occasionally doing shows up there now oh that's great yeah that's really (laughs) cool it's pretty crazy so i it's funny too because when i grew up it's weird to like talk to people now about like the problem with nazi skinheads and when i was growing up it there, there was that was a problem at every show even bef- before what year I, like, did you move here um i moved here when i was 12 so that was 87 and it was yeah. it was it's it was still going and on even man, when yeah. i started playing in in my first band struggle i would we would get i mean we were political and and uh, very leftist but we would get like beat up by these skinheads oh all these the guys beat up bands at there was a place called king's road cafe on 30th um which was short-lived, only a couple of years. A uh, really cool place. It started out as a coffee shop, and then my friend Peter English ran it for a couple of years. They do they did minor threat there and Whoa. vandals, and 
uh, Husker Du and all these really cool bands. But, you know, that's kind of when the skinhead thing first started. They came in there and just, uh, I remember this rockabilly band there called Jimmy and the Mustangs played once. They were really big in L.A. They came down and got in a fight with somebody, man, and the whole band got their asses kicked. Their yeah. gear got trashed. I think that happened to the Vandals at Fairmount Hall, yeah. too. Yeah. So yeah. that was the famous Vandals show. Yeah, right? yeah, You yeah. did that? I didn't do that oh, one. No, oh. somebody else's show. Thank uh. God. <laughs> I can't remember who did that one. Did Scott Bartoloni do it? Maybe. He did something. Maybe. Too. Do you know Scott? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So Scott. he did something that was like, yeah, the Vandals. And the, they did the skinheads aren't allowed. You know, yeah, song yeah. Or whatever. Yeah. And, uh, it got, and he, was, he was like 14 years old when he did it or something, you know? <laughs> it was, it was horrible times, man. I mean. There's a group, probably about 10, 12, 15 of them at most. Yeah. They're all super buff guys. Yeah. They would just come in and just, like, you know, we weren't even there to see the music. No, no, yeah. Terrorize and beat people up, you know. I mean, I would go to the World Beat Center and they'd be there. And I'm like, you're at a place called World Beat Center. It's like reggae themed. And they're like, no no mentality to it. But it's it's crazy to think about, like, so San Diego, uh, even with the, like, sort of, like, very strict, um, conservative, like, not anti, but, like, the, the, how there wasn't all ages stuff, like, it wasn't very welcoming for those kind of venues. And then you had, like, you know, like, maybe because the border, we have, like, institutional racism or overtly racism or whatever, you know, and then all of a sudden you have, like, a lot of just negative shit. And and so you end up having this sort of, because, I mean, I wonder, like, I'm sh- I mean, no, I know it was bad, like, in the 80s for, like, punk bands in L.A. and stuff, but, like, in San Diego, it seemed, like, a little bit more, I don't, I mean, again, I'm just, I'm, I'm going, I mean, I wasn't around to see those things yeah. in the 80s, but, like, I'm, I'm, like, assuming that, like, I don't know, like, a different scenario here than it would be in other cities. You know, in L.A., the, uh, like, the whole violent punk rock thing up there was on a much bigger scale because there's so many more people, like, those shows at the Olympic Auditorium, where it'd be, like, 5,000 people yeah. there. You know, and if you had somebody like Suicidal Tendencies play, there'd be ridiculous, huge gang members. Circle One. Yeah. Oh, used to play in Circle yeah, One. Yeah, used yeah. to tell me his stories yeah. about that, you know. TSOL even back then had a lot of problems. But down here, it was a smaller group. And, you know, when when punk rock stuff first started here, they're like 80, 79, 80. It was a really small group of people. You knew everybody. Yeah. And everybody was into every different kind of music, you know. Because you'd go see whatever you could, because there wasn't that lot that much to go see. Sure. So all kinds of different bands would come, and then it got you know just like in Orange County in probably eighty one, eighty two, where all the jocks started coming in, and then a bunch of people who weren't there for the original thing, which was the music, for the the identity, <laughs> yeah. and, and a group of people who were not part of the mainstream, uh, just came in and completely changed the whole thing and down here it was those those skinheads were able to terrorize a, a much larger group of people i mean even the security people i'd hired didn't want to deal sure. with them because they were scary guys yeah and then you i know? remember like growing up too going to the very first soma when it was downtown but all of the security there were white supremacists and they were scary too I oh yeah like, yeah yeah you know yeah. so then it, then it was like even crazier because you weren't you, i would I mean, and that was all ages, or maybe it was eighteen and up. No, I th- I don't know. I don't remember. I don't. I only went there once or twice. I think it was all yeah. ages. Yeah. I was yeah. scared to go there, and and I and I was scared <laughs> of you know. That's why we never even played there. It wasn't like an because there was like the anti soma thing that a lot of bands right had. the whole John Reese on tackled on stage thing. Wait, did you ever hear that story? I'm not sure. Like so, Rocket never would never play there yeah. because they did play there at the original one, and I don't know. John dropped a mic or. Uh, something happened and the sound man came on stage and tackled him. Wow. <laughs> so wow. they vowed never to play yeah. there again and they never did. Yeah. You know, and so a lot of the bands fell in line with that. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny because years and years later, I booked, we're doing a show at, oh, the we did the Descendants over at Soma last year and uh, they wanted the Widows to play. Yeah. So we booked the Widows and Max remembers, goes back to that time when sure. Rocket wouldn't play. Yeah. And he comes up and he goes, huh. This wasn't that bad, man. We had a good time. Yeah, you know, yeah. all those years yeah. he had held this thing in his mind yeah. that emanated from that one incident. So, but it, but it was more than that. From yeah, me. not to, it's changed a lot yeah. now. I mean, but back then, yeah, I remember those guys who who worked it. You know, they were all like big, stocky, white, blonde-haired dudes. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah, I mean, they they beat up Eric Allen from Swing Kids and Unbroken. So then there was like the San Diego Five. I think like uh, Blackheart was part of it too. There was like some article that came out in the reader like a few years ago, probably like ten years ago now, and uh, they quoted Paul Jenkins talking about 
Lynn from Soma saying like, you'll never make it, you know, if you don't ever play Soma and, you know, they never did. But, but it was a weird thing to, to like have that be or have that, that, have that exist in San Diego because there wasn't room to like, you know, be shitty to bands or to be shitty to other people because oh, they yeah. would try to shut down the Che and. Oh yeah. Like, I've mean, he heard all the stories like yeah. people getting calls, or they don't have a permit or yeah. too many people or yeah. whatever, you know? Yeah. And I've never understood how people are shitty to bands and still able to operate and stay in business. Yeah. I mean, he's been doing it a long time. He's not there running the place anymore. Yeah. He's got a much better group of people there who are kind of more in tune with other how people, should, you yeah, know? How it should be. But, you know, it's just like back in the early days when the Casbah was first starting out, Brett Bodie had a place downtown called Bodie's. And it was a little bit bigger, and they did a lot of shows there. A lot of the same bands we were doing. This is like 90, before we moved. It was 90, 91. And, you know, he, he, Brett's a friend of mine. I've known him for a long, long time. But he would show, stiff bands sometimes. If the show didn't do it, I wouldn't pay him. Oh, yeah. And the word started getting out of that. And after a while, bands just didn't want to play there. Yeah. You know, and that kind of, that kind of helped us because we were competing for bands at the time. Sure. It's like, so ever since then, you know, I mean, we, we always try to make a point of making sure the band is taken care of, you yeah. know. Just like if if I was traveling on the road and I pulled in somewhere, I'd want to be treated the same way that we treat people, you know, just. Yeah, that's yeah. always been our philosophy. It's yeah. definitely something like I have been, I've done, I've played both shows, like where the people, the venue and the, the people that work there suck, or the venue and the people that work there are awesome, and it makes a difference, oh, especially coming back. And it's going to make a better performance. It's just going to yeah, be Yeah, it's, it's all, all around, around for, you know, and word gets out too for, you know, bands and agents and booking people and fans yeah. and what have you. It is great, though, to like be able to go literally all around the world on tour and to see Casbah shirts and hoodies yeah. and stuff. And you're like, it's wow. pretty crazy. Yeah. I was, where I was somewhere recently, out of the blue, some guy walks by and like Casbah shirt. And I'm like, whoa, yeah. yeah. I, I saw one in Japan and it was really, it was rad. Yeah. yeah it's it's, it's a cool way to connect yeah, with someone. It is. It is. Um, so, so, okay, there was the, there's like the, the famous Slayer show and the, the Vandals one, there, but there was a couple other ones that I've heard about, like, that I assume maybe you booked, there was this Misfits one, right, where Doyle, like, hit someone. What do you think, we're lightweight? Yeah, that was at the Lions Club. Did you do that show? That, yeah, that yeah. was right when I first joined up with the Dead or Alive guys. Okay. And, um, so it was Mark Rude. I'm sure you've heard yeah. of, you know who yeah. he is. There's another guy named Mickey Williams. We were the three partners. And then there was a girl named Sherry Cotton who kind of ran the door and got the permits. Did So wait, did Mark live in San Diego? He lived in San Diego at the oh, time, yeah. I yeah. He, lived he LA moved in L.A. probably 85 okay. or so. But he was down here. I mean, I first met him through the Skeleton Club. He was kind of a, a punk rock troublemaker. Yeah. You know, just getting fights, getting wasted all the time. <laughs> and he was like the kind of the, the granddaddy godfather of all the punk rocker guys. Yeah. Because uh, he was a little older than everybody, you know. So, anyways, we were working together on this Misfits show. It was the Misfits, Saccharin Trust, and I can't remember who else. And uh, Mark got in a fight outside and got taken to jail. Okay. So, he was friends with the Misfits yeah. guys. He had known them from New York. And he did their artwork. And yeah, he, yeah, yeah, exactly. So, um, I didn't really know them. I hardly knew anybody at the time. I knew Mark, I knew Mickey, I knew Sherry, and a couple other people. So, I had made a deal with uh chris d who ran ruby records at the time oh yeah he was booking them okay because they were on ruby yeah. at some point so I, I made a deal with him and then the show happened in that that base incident where he whacked somebody over the head and, oh so it was Do it was jerry with the i can't remember no i can't remember it might uh -huh. i think it was doyle yeah okay. yeah yeah um so uh, I don't remember anything really coming of that much. He didn't kill the person. No, he, no, nobody he, died yeah, or anything. Just yeah. Somebody got a big bump on the head, <laughs> blood. I, all I remember beyond that at that show was at the end of the night, they come to get paid, and there was a discrepancy on what they thought they were supposed to get, what I thought they were supposed to get of a few hundred dollars, which back then was a lot of money. Yeah, you know? sure. So I'm like, Earl... Um, the guy who was in Saccharin Trust, the bass player Earl, super tall, gnarly uh -huh. dude. He's coming up. And there's like four or five guys standing there, and I'm sitting in the box office <laughs> holding the money out. You know, yeah. here it is. Yeah. They're like, well, it's supposed to be this. I'm like, no, no. That's, I Luckily, I had a, a contract from, from Chris D. I was able to say, no, here's what I got from Chris. So, you know, but I was like nervous, you know, because I didn't know any of these guys at yeah. all. And, um, Mark Rude was gone because he could have been able to kind of mediate there, but. 
So yeah, that that's what I remember most from that show. Not wow. even the incident of the person getting hit. No, <laughs> that's yeah. so boring then. Yeah, well, <laughs> no, yeah, I mean I was kind of scared at the time. <laughs> it's popped up in some misfit stuff I've read yeah. about. You know, and it, it was I was I was like they're always saying like the San Diego show where where or, you know Doyle hit this guy and I don't know whatever. I thought I read that he was in a coma or something, but I don't. I've never never heard that. Yeah. So I mean, maybe the myth got bigger over the years. I'm sure it, yeah. that happened. Right. Then there was the other one with Did you ever book the exploited? Yes, and that was like a riot too, right? Because there was a bunch of Nazis there, and there, everyone came to fight them. And well, so. we booked a show. I booked them a couple times. Once at uh, Adams Avenue, uh, yeah, and once at the State Theater. And well, so, where was the State? State Theater, theater is out on like Sixty Third and El Cajon. Oh, okay, it was a movie theater for years and years and years, and then it became like a kind of an Asian cinema. Uh-huh. And so we booked a show there with UK subs and exploited. And you'd walk in, and they'd taken out most of the seats of the theater, but they had left the little pins in the floor, the, the screw uh, screw posts uh-huh. where the seats went, and then they'd bolt them down. They didn't take any of those off. So the, all over the floor, there's these little, like, screws Holy sticking God. up. And yeah. It was dark in there, and the band's playing. And um, there wasn't a riot at that one, and I don't remember a riot at Adams. I mean, a lot of stuff happened at Adams where, you know, Police would come and block off the street. There was the car wash across the street. Yeah. They'd they'd park all their cars in the bays of the car wash and just wait till things got done. And, you know, shit would happen. People would get arrested. People would throw bottles. But I don't remember any riots. Huh. But they exploited at State Theater when they went on. The power went out in the building, like ten minutes into their set. Let's start a war. The the guy who ran the theater. Up and they had a projection booth with all the power and stuff. And we went up there and he had no idea how to turn it back on or do anything. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, the band <clears throat> tried to just sing some songs and stuff, and it ended up just, you know, nothing happened. The yeah. show was over. And oh. People left. The theater never opened another day for business after really? that. That was oh. the end. Wow. I think the fire marshals came in the next day and uh-huh. looked at what was going on in there, not even with the show, they, you know, because it was the day after, but just said, yeah, you guys are done. Wow. Yeah. I mean, the metal spikes. In the yeah, that, that alone was That's a complete insane. safety hazard. Yeah. yeah. You can yeah. imagine, like, hitting your head yeah. on one of those. Or they might have, maybe they called somebody to try and get the power turned back on, and somebody said, hey, this, is, this isn't going to fly. Yeah. And um, so what, what? So at the Adams Avenue one, it's funny because I wash my car there sometimes. Yeah, you know uh, exactly. What but I'm so about. so they they would the cops would just wait for the. Oh shows. yeah, they would park in there and wait uh-huh. till you know the shows would get over around eleven, and uh, just just for the hell of it, just wait and see what was going on. Yeah, yeah wow. you know, I mean, because they're, you know, behind the theater there's an alleyway, then there was nothing but apartments back there. Yeah. So and then the stage was at that alley end sure. of the building, so you know it was super loud. And uh, people would be, you know, drinking and pissing and yeah. doing what yeah. they do. So the neighborhood was pretty pretty riled up about things a lot. And that's why the cop, they'd call the cops. And the cops would come. Luckily, they didn't shut the shows down. Um, there was one time when Social Distortion played there, and Mike Ness was super drugged out of the time, big junkie. So when they were good. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Mommy's Little Monster yeah, time, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so somebody... Joe Coochman, you know who he is, right? I, you ever heard know. of his name? No, I don't know. Okay, so he was a guy in a band called Crabgrass back in the uh-huh. 83, 84. But he was a notorious troublemaker. Little guy, too. He wasn't even that big. He's from South Bay. Uh, he threw a bottle and hit one of the security guards early in the evening outside in front. <laughs> and so the security guard called the cops. The cops show up. The bands, it was, it was social distortion, I think the Minutemen. Uh, and a couple others, and the cops wanted to come in and shut the show, and I talked him into waiting until it was done. Now, maybe it was Mike Ness, actually. Mike Ness and Joe Coochman were both involved because they wanted to come in and arrest Mike Ness. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, no, you got to wait till the show's done. There'll, be a, <laughs> there'll surely be a riot yeah. if you guys come in now. So they all waited. Wow. And, you know, I gave word to the Mike Ness's guy. I said, hey, they're going to arrest him. You sneak him out the back door oh, yeah, wow. you know yeah. when the, when he's off stage yeah. and he came off stage and he was so wasted he went out the wrong a different door on his own yeah the cops were there and they handcuffed him that took him it. to jail for a couple a couple days wow. I think. yeah so do you have any other awesome ones that maybe I there's didn't... a good one there um when the cramps played uh, okay so oh i got I, i'll finish up about joe coochman in a minute too because there's a good 
comeuppance with him many, many years later. Okay. Um, let's do that first, actually. So Joe Keith's yeah. a notorious troublemaker in a band called Crabgrass. They, oh, yeah, they have, he had a house in IB where they did house shows and stuff. Oh, yeah. And um, he would, he wasn't one of the skinhead guys, but he would equally bad troublemaker, just beat people up for no reason. Yeah. And, uh, Go around and break things and destroy shit. And, um, year probably ten years ago, he uh, he got arrested for uh, he was basically meeting transvestites and hooking up with them, taking them back to his house, having sex with them, and beating the shit out of them. Wow! And so he got at some point he got arrested for that yeah. and went to prison for life. So Whoa. he's serving life in prison for, for that. Yeah, so anyways. <laughs> Joe Coochman. Of well, that band. Crab, Crabgrass yeah. guy, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, bad uh. news. So anyways, the Cramps were playing there at one time and uh, Stage at Adams wasn't very deep, probably from this wall to that wall, from de the depth. And Nick Knox had a big gong behind his drum kit and Lux, so somebody, a guy, a guy named Mike Wood, who another bad news troublemaker guy <laughs> back then. Uh -huh. There's all these dudes, man. But he was bad news too, and he would he would beat people up. Same kind of thing, you know, just guys who were violent and drugged out and just stupid and yeah. you know, troublemakers. So he got up on stage somehow and stole the gong. Wow, the you know to beat to beat oh, the, the mallet, the, the yeah. mallet. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. not the gong. Yeah. the mallet. Uh -huh. He grabbed the mallet, and Lux saw him do it. And I guess Lux pushed him off stage, and he almost bumped into Ivy. And so Lux chased him into the crowd yeah. and, and, like, pummeled him a couple times, got the gong back, and got back up on stage. And there was a recording of the show, Cliff Cunningham. Do you know him? Yeah, of course. Yeah, Cliff used to record shows. Uh -huh. So he has a board recording of it where Lux gets on stage and goes in this whole little monologue, like, this stage ain't big enough to get people up here. There's only three feet for me and my band. And if you come up here and bump into me or bump into Ivy, you're going to pay for it. And, yeah. You know, and he had the gong back and everybody's like, eh. yeah, <laughs> that was pretty funny. That wow. guy ended up dead of an OB at some point. So Mike Wait. Wood. Oh, oh! I yeah. thought you meant Cliff. He's still no, around. no. Cliff's still around. Yeah, yeah. I still he's, see Cliff. Yeah, I heard he's getting social spit back together. Yeah, they, they still play every now yeah. and then. Yeah, I, I, that was one of my earliest memories of San Diego. Oh, really? Yeah. Social spit? Yeah, I would go to the off the record. On yeah, the yeah, Boulevard right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was like, sure. I would go in there, and he. It's so funny because he was like, "You should." He's like, "Little kid, you should buy this record." You know, it's on Pink Vinyl or whatever. And I was like, "Oh, Pink Vinyl, cool!" And, I, and then I found out that he was the singer of the band, and um, now I'm. I mean, I I don't I don't see him ever. Um, but I do. Well, he talk lives to him up on in Facebook. Fallbrook or Ramona or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was a post post office guy for yeah, years yep. and years and retired. And... Which is kind of interesting too, because he has a prosthetic leg. Yeah. So it's weird that he was a postal. He I I he was a postal delivery person. No, I think he worked in the post office. Oh, I yeah. thought someone told me that. He I don't did, know. Maybe walked around. So he used to he used to live on Thirty uh, First and Grape back in the eighties, yeah. and he had a house there, and kind of around the corner from where the big kitchen is. Sure. And he would have bands come over. He would make dinner for bands a lot when they came to town. Yeah. So he would have dinner, have bands over, and then they'd go over there afterwards and yeah. party and stuff. And uh, they're all sitting around at one point, and some girl's talking to him, you know, some young girl. And he's like, oh, it's Cliff. He works at the record store. He knows the band. And so they're all getting, hanging around, drinking and partying. And at one point, Cliff takes a fork and sticks it in his bad leg. <laughs> yeah. But the girl didn't know that he had a fake yeah. leg. You know? yeah. like, she goes, oh, my God, what is it? He goes, oh, yeah. it's all right. It's a fake leg. Yeah, yeah. yeah he was a great guy. Still yeah. is a great guy. And then um, it's weird, too. What about Battalion of Saints? Because I, I had, like, a weird um, – sort of connection with them because the Locust's first drummer, Dave Astor, his dad was um, also Dave Astor yes, from Battalion of Saints. Yes, yes. So I knew those guys. They're some of the first people I got to know when I started doing punk rock shows. Uh, uh, George and, yeah. and Chris and then Barry and then Lloyd. And uh, Ted was the drummer that I knew, Ted Olson. And uh, it's funny, back then, like 1981, Ted Olson worked for the city and he has actually owned a house in 1981 <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're yeah. like what? No how do you own a house <laughs> yeah, man yeah. anyway so i booked a tour for those guys whoa in 82 like a uh, u.s tour yeah uh -huh. u.s tour uh -huh. like via maximum rock and roll yeah. flip side yeah, yeah. whatever you know yeah. you'd look through the scene reports and you'd find a phone number and you'd get on the phone yeah. and you'd have to call the phone bill was like a thousand dollars to book a tour and they went out and it was a pretty decent tour it's like 40 
40 or 50 shows all the way around, you know, a little bit looping and back down. And they got through about five or six of them, and the band just kind of disintegrated. Wow. Um, I forget who was playing guitar for them at the time. I think Chris wasn't in the band at that point. Yeah. It was uh, Brian Baker play with them at one point? I don't know. Somebody did from D.C. But anyways, the whole band just fell apart. And they kind of made it to a couple shows here and there and limped home. And uh, George gave me a trailer to cover the phone. (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, but I was good, pretty good friends with George for a long time. We used to hang out a lot. Yeah. when he got the like the revival thing, I think they had Mario playing drums. Right, maybe, or wasn't Scott in the band? Scott for a was, while? Yeah, yeah. They yeah. had like some pretty rad people. Yeah, yeah, a whole new younger generation yeah. who were stoked to play with somebody yeah. that put out such great records. Yeah. I mean, they used to put really good shows. We did a New Year's Eve show with them and uh, UK Subs at Adams one year, uh-huh. probably '82 New Year's Eve, uh-huh. and uh, the sound man was drunk, and it was <laughs> Battalion of Saints. UK Subs were headlining. Battalion of Saints were on stage, and Soundman was just wasted. All, you know, not doing doing anything he was supposed to be doing. <laughs> and George runs off stage in the middle of a song, runs down to the soundboard, and punches the guy out, wow. and then runs back on yeah, stage. Yeah. Yeah. I bet it sounded better. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was pretty crazy stuff. I think there was there were fireworks going off inside the the venue that night too. Wow. People were just shooting off fireworks. Wow, and pretty crazy. New huh. Year's Eve. That's funny because. The New Year's thing is is pretty wild. We I don't know. It wasn't a New Year's show, but there was the because we had this house in Golden Hill. We'd have shows at uh, over the years, and there was we did this show because we were getting evicted. So we had like this eviction show, and it was like the Locust Blood Brothers, and and then Moving Units played, and then um uh what was become to become Mars Volta um played as well, and and it was like um it was insane. There was like I think there was like four or five hundred people there. And um, I know, like, the Che and Soma and one other show were booked, and th- those shows just canceled their shows. Cause, <laughs> you know, and it was, it was like, and it, we had. Was that the house you had with Alicia? Yeah, uh, yeah. No, no, this oh. was like before. Oh, way before yeah, that. It was actually right around the corner from there. Okay. And um, it was uh, it was a pretty crazy show. And, like, I'm, a bunch of people almost went to jail, me being one of them. And and, it, and it, ironically, it was like I had I was, like, sober. <laughs> and, you know, and, like, I wasn't right, going to jail for right. anything. But, like, everyone was going to go to jail for, like, all the... I guess the right reasons that, you know, maybe the wrong reasons, I guess, depending on how you look at it. But it is funny to think about the things that get the police there and, and yeah. cause. I went to, uh, back in probably early days, like Skeleton Club days, there was a, a guy named Doug Rabies. No, no, no. Actually, no, it was, okay, Doug Rabies was part of this. But George from Battalion of Saints, who was, he was in a band called Neutrons first before uh-huh. that. So it was called George Neutron. That was his, his name. And they had a house, and I can't remember where it was, but they were getting evicted, and there was, they had a party. And I remember going there with a couple of friends. I didn't know a lot of the people there at the time, but people were pounding holes through walls with sledgehammers, <laughs> yeah. breaking the windows. Like, you could walk from the living room through the bedroom without going through the door. Yeah. Just, like a big, <laughs> the giant hole wow. in the wall. It was insane. Yeah. Man. Yeah, I'd never seen anything like that. It's pretty crazy to think about, like, the stuff that you've booked and like, I'm, I mean, you said you booked Nirvana and things like that that have become, you know, massive. But I, I remember like Bob Barley from Fun of Communications, oh, yeah. like going and seeing like Green Day or Rage Against the Machine or something, you know, right, in like right. his house, you know. And right. Then, he had the yeah. shows in his yeah. backyard. Yeah. My, my wife grew up in Chula Vista. Uh-huh. So she went to school with Paul. Oh, okay. And, uh, you know, she knew she remembers going to Bob's house yeah. to see shows back when, you know, whenever that was. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. It, it, yeah, go on. Oh, I was yeah. just saying now he's a plumber to everybody. He's always been a plumber. Yeah, just, I mean, he, yeah, yeah, so many people He fixed my now. washer yesterday and was telling yeah. me that he, yeah, I was talking about when he was 18 and was doing plumbing and, um, yeah, I, you know, up and bought a house and that was where VC was and that's where bands played and yeah, stuff. Yeah, I mean, so he had a house back then too. Yeah, own. he was talking about how he um, worked and saved up all this money and bought a house for like, Back then, which is a lot yeah. of money, but like seventy thousand right, dollars, you know, right. and like, which you can't even buy a yeah, you, you can't, can't even make a down payment. You, now. you can't, yeah. yeah, um, yeah, which is pretty wild because I drive, I live in City Heights now, and so I, I drive by, I drive down Adams often, um, every day, um, and I always trip out on um the Adams Avenue um 
Oh yeah, whenever you. like I go to the street fair, I always go in yeah. there and take a look around. I'll take my son in there. I'll say, "Yeah, this is where the bands yeah. used to be. Here's the little room under the thing where we would stash our beer, you know, because you couldn't have beer in there <laughs> yeah. and stuff." And yeah, it was it was pretty. So pretty how crazy. does that place stay like a fabric store in such a demand, like a high demand? Well, it's it's not a theater anymore at all. I mean, the, the stage is gone. Yeah, the whole thing has been the. It went through an ownership change, um, in mid '80s. What kind of theater was it besides? It the was shows you just, booked? I think, a long time ago. It might have been a movie theater, uh-huh. but it was a weird setup because it had the built stage was built into the room, uh-huh. so the wings were kind of like the walls were part of the structure on the sides, and then there was a, a lowered space in front of the stage, then. There was a raised area behind that, about halfway back, which was three feet taller than the pit. Pit area was really big. Yeah. But then there was a whole raised space, and then on either side there were balconies, like that went the whole oh. length of the building. So there was a lot of great spots to see bands. You see the stage from there. But I don't recall ever seeing a movie in there. Um, after I they they kind of booted me out after that Motorhead thing. Uh-huh. Um, some people started putting on metal shows there. And there was a club for a while. It was called Purple Rain, I think it was. Uh-huh. <laughs> and it was kind of a soul uh, oh, yeah. R&B kind of place uh-huh. where they had DJs and bands. And after that, you know, it just stopped, you know. I don't know what, what how it, it went from a theater to a fabric store. Yeah. But, yeah, it's it's unusable as a, a theater anymore. It couldn't be renovated. Or I something. don't think so. I think you'd have, to, well, you'd have to go in and probably do a lot of work yeah. to get the permits to do it right. Yeah. But uh, well, so at this point in your you know in your life and your career, could don't do you ever think about making a Casbah like place but bigger? You know, no, you know I, I I think about it every now and then, but I'd be competing against myself with a Casbah number one because uh-huh. we get a lot of bands there that could be playing bigger places, but they like to play there. Yeah. Number two, I can book shows at all the other bigger places already Anyhow. without having to own them. Yeah. And having to worry about running them and sure. you know dealing with. Like calling Bob Varley to fix shit, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. all that stuff. So, yeah. you know, I mean, yeah, I can book shows for at any size up from Casbah to like we're doing something at the Open Air Theater uh-huh. in, in October. So, so yeah. There's so no, is that the biggest? That's the biggest, yeah. yeah. And that's, I do that reluctantly because it's pretty, it's scary money when you get up to that big. Sure. You can lose a shit ton of money. Well, and then have you done any of the festival stuff? No, no. I've not. Have uh-huh. not. We did a couple outdoor things in North Park, like behind the theater, a few years ago. But uh-huh. that was like you know fifteen hundred people yeah. in a parking lot. So yeah, no, I haven't done a festival ever. Huh. That's scary money too. Yeah, I mean the things that have happened festival wise in San Diego, in like I guess the realm that I would be associated with, or something like street scene or whatever. Right, right? exactly. So, and I yeah. I helped book bands the last two years of street scene. Does it still happen? No, it hasn't yeah. happened since 2010. Okay. So the guy approached me in 2009, and he was pretty much almost done booking it, but he wanted me to help him book some, you know, cooler bands. So I helped book them. I didn't, you know, didn't get paid. I just did it yeah. to do it, to be part of it. Sure. So then the next year, I started on the whole thing from, from the beginning, and... uh he had pretty good, seemed like a good lineup at the time, but he lost, a sh- I guess he had lost money the year before in 2009. Yeah. So the day of the 2010 one, the Saturday, the first day of it, or no, that was the second day, actually, um, I get a call from a, a band's tour manager who I had known, and he says, hey, um, they're locking us out of our trailers backstage. I'm like, what do you mean? He says, yeah, they're, they're booting everybody out of the trailers, and they're going to lock them all up because the guy owes them money. Whoa. from the year before Whoa. so i i'm like okay well i get better get down there a little earlier than i had yeah, planned yeah. so i get down there and it, there's like the guy rob hagee had owed people from the year before for production staging the trailers hospitality all that stuff the backstage stuff and so they all just like we're not going to do anything until you pay us and so somehow he got them to open the trailers but then there was a bunch of bands and agents sitting there waiting for money before they would go on stage so like um public enemy is supposed to play uh-huh. and their agent sitting there right outside hagee's got a trailer where he's doing paying you know writing checks and stuff. oh this was when it was downtown yeah yeah it was okay downtown. i saw that public yeah. enemy so yeah they were on they i don't know if you remember they went on about 45 minutes late yeah because yeah. they weren't wouldn't go on until they got paid in cash they weren't going to take a check 
and they were they were getting twenty grand, I think it was. Wow. So their their booking agent sitting outside the trailer. I'm like, hey, John, what are you doing? He goes, I'm just waiting for some cash so my band can go on. Wow. And finally, they got him the cash and they went on stage. And so then he had to call in his brother who had a bank account with some funds in it. Who a lot of bands started finding out that we need to get paid before yeah. we go on. There's no way you can get that much cash on a, no. on a day yeah. like that. So they were his brother started writing checks. Um, the Dead Weather were playing on one of the main stages, like the headlining slot. And I went over, and Dave Kaplan, their booking agent I've known for a long time, and I'm over in a trailer with the guys from X taking a break, like, okay, with this, all this stuff's <laughs> calmed down a little. And I get a call from them right then there before the Dead Weather going, um, I hear the bands aren't getting paid. You need they aren't going to go on unless they get paid. So you got to. Oh, so I got to run back over there, and I'm like, okay, you guys got to write a check to the Dead Weather right now, yeah, because they won't go on. And you got thirty thousand people out there going to have a freak out if they don't go on. So you know, and there's all these giant big booking agents sitting in his trailer, like I don't know, Marsha Vlasic, like she's been around for like forty years. Yeah, this big powerful woman. <laughs> a couple others I didn't even know, you know, and they're all sitting in there waiting for their money too. Wow, his his brother's writing checks, man. It's crazy that the them. agents are even there. Oh yeah, well, yeah. They, you know, I guess there was some uh, some worry. I don't know, or maybe they were just there to, to look out for their clients. But it was weird that they were all there, but they were all there, and a lot of bands did not get paid afterwards. Um, and so I had booked a lot of them, and uh, you know, I the booking agent would call me like, "Hey, when's our band getting paid?" And I'm like, "Well, here's Rob Hagee's phone number. You know, <laughs> he signed the contracts." Uh-huh. And you know, I was I kept getting calls for right three or four months on that, and most of the people I had booked with know me and I'd worked with for years, so they didn't hold me responsible. Sure. But it was gnarly. So that's the guy ended up losing his house. Uh, he had to sell his house. He had a house in La Jolla. He had to sell whoa. it to pay off all the bills. Yeah, so he 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 was devastated financially. I can so anyways, imagine. that's just scary kind of money you're dealing with. I on cannot festivals. imagine. Yeah, me either. Wow. Me either. But then the the funny thing is, I keep I haven't run into him a long time, but I keep hearing through the grapevine that he's he wants to get back in it to another <laughs> festival. And I'm like, yeah, dude, you're gonna yeah. have to pay everybody from the first yeah. last one, yeah. and pay everybody up front for this one. It's only been like yeah. se- seven years. Seven years. Yeah, yeah no, everybody still remembers that. Unless he came. I in mean, Connor O'Burst still still brings it up when wow. I see it. Like, hey, are we ever gonna get that money? It was like fifty thousand dollars. They got stiffed. Wow. Yeah, and I'm like, yeah, you know, that's never gonna happen. That's so crazy. Yeah. yeah. Huh. That, I mean, that is one of the reputations that I know you've never had. Everyone, no, you can't. Like, I mean, and people do that and get away with it too, yeah. you know. But I, you know, even if we lose money, you still got to pay what you told. I mean, you pay. I mean, sometimes they'll ask, "Hey, hey, can you guys take a little less?" If they say no, we can't. We're like, okay, here you yeah. get what you get. But yeah. sometimes people will say, "Yeah, give us less," you know. So. Wow, that's crazy. But we don't do that very often. I, I I've been at a couple of shows where they just didn't pay us, and it's like. You know, then our agents on the phone. You know, and it's like, well, exactly. we gotta go. We have to leave and go like to the right, next right, city. and then you leave it to. And yeah. That's the thing. I mean, there's, there's every now and then there'll be a discrepancy, like the contracts got the wrong number, or we have the wrong number. You know, but everybody we book is like, you know, okay, well, we'll figure it out tomorrow. I'll call your agent. We'll sure. get it taken care of. You know, they know we're good for it. Yeah, and we never had an issue like that. Yeah. So, and then, so what do you think about like this? Is such a stupid question, but like I, I I'm always kind of it's always kind of brought up and i think it's really important but like it's it's weird okay because the my the way i thought about it was like this the segue was based on like the festival thing because it seems like people don't care as much about live music and the festival thing is a big deal now people care about coachella and shit but like people like just typically don't care to go out to live shows i don't know i mean it's it's hard i mean the festival thing now all the big ones it's all like DJs and EDM stuff. I mean, Coachella's gone from where it used to be bands to the the EDM stuff that was in the tents Uh is now a lot of the headlining stuff. So, but I mean, something like Coachella, it's an event. People don't, yeah. they don't care who's playing yeah. usually. I know, huh? You know, but there's and, big money in a festival, right? Oh, you could he, pay. those guys make shit tons yeah. of money. I mean, they do a hundred thousand people each day. Over. But when you're spending, you're probably you're they're like, spending you're, million. I have no yeah. idea of what they spend. Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, well, you know, I've only been to Coachella once. I went to see Paul McCartney, uh, 2010, and I think he got a million bucks. I had heard. I am, uh-huh. I'm not sure, but you know, you multiply that times a few headliners, and then you got what 75 other bands. Yeah, it's a lot of money. Yeah. So, 
Um, but yeah, as far as people not caring to go to live shows, I mean, I see sometimes it, you see a lot of apathy, but then other times you're surprised. So as a rule, it's hard to say. I mean, there's so many pe- things for people to do in San Diego. <clears throat> and, you know, there's a lot more clubs now. There's a lot of shows going on any given night. <clears throat> um, so, you know, we, sometimes things will do way less than we thought they would. And sometimes they'll surprise more. us way better. Huh. And, you know, we, we kind of look at advanced ticket sales now, you know, to kind of gauge how a show's going to do. And most of the time, the advanced sales will be the bulk of it. And you'll do a little bit of walk up like especially on early nights of the week but then every once in a while you'll you'll do a show where you sell 70 advance and you'll do 85 at the door on a tuesday night uh-huh. so it's it's almost impossible to figure you know there's no real yeah there's no pattern huh i wish there was yeah <laughs> we all be, it'd make be my lunch job a lot easier it'd be better for me as a yeah for everybody music too, yeah for sure it? It's it's a trip because I'm I'm always like whoa there's this many people here or like oh there's nobody here right or, exactly you know, same or, thing yeah. Yeah. even because like you know Luke and I would put on like we've been doing this Planet B night in San Diego and we did it at a couple bars and we're gonna we were moving it again to an, another place but it, it's like it's trying to figure out like why did nobody show up to this yeah, you know it's it's, it's, it's it's hard I mean there's so many other beyond whatever you have on your lineup there's other influences like who's playing over there or mm-hmm. what's going on down the street or who, wherever. And again, a lot of it does have to do with the, the venue and stuff like how people like love the Casbah, you know, they're like, there's not to sound weird or whatever, but there's like an energy that happens there that you cannot replicate. in another Yeah. I place. mean, I've had a lot of people tell me that in different bands over the years who played there for years and yeah. years and who played everywhere around the world for years. And, um, I mean, it feels like a house, my home to me. I mean, sure. I walk in there, and it's like, okay, yeah. I'm comfortable. And, yeah. You know, I know every minute <clears throat> square inch of what's going on there. But, um, yeah, I don't know. It's it's weird. I mean, I go, I like seeing shows there better than just about anywhere else I can think of because uh-huh. you can be right there, you know. Um, I don't go to a, to a lot of shows in a lot of different places very often. I mean, You don't have to. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah, that's true. So, but, yeah, it's it's weird. I mean, it's like booking Melvin's there, you know, like, yeah, the, like the, they still keep playing there. I, I mean, they're coming back in July. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> every once in a while, they'll they'll ask about playing the belly up. Oh, they will. Yeah. yeah. They're agent. You're like, well, listen, I'm like, yeah, OK, well, yeah. You know, so they could do belly up or two nights at Casbah. Yeah. And this and last most recent time, they, they said, OK, let's just do two nights yeah. this time. And they came back and I sent them a two night offer and they came back like, oh, we only got time for one. So. We're gonna do Casbah one night. And I'm like, Whoa. okay, I'll take it. Yeah. You know, I mean, we're gonna like turn no it. Brainer. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, one of these days we'll do two nights or try a belly up or something. I don't yeah. know. And then what about like when you um, did? I I was on tour and I was so mad, but you did the Jehu show. Um, how was? that? Oh, we did two of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The um, two nights they what? were two weeks apart. Um, those were just crazy insane. I mean, I mean it, the the free thing at the at oh the, that park. Did you go to that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was that like was, that was magical. It was, it was like four thousand people, five thousand, four or five. Yeah. yeah, it was. I mean, I got up there. I took an Uber up there because we had a like something at the Casbah that afternoon. We had a something going on, so I just dropped popped up the hill and you know got there and I'm like, oh my god! I didn't expect that. Yeah. I didn't either. Yeah. I had no idea. And like all generations. Yeah, and like yeah, dogs. It was magic. It was magical. <laughs> Yeah, it, it was. It was, it was really, something that really was cool. so special. But then, like, to have them play the Casbah makes yeah. sense in John's involvement and, and everybody's involvement. But also, like, they could have just played bigger. Oh, yeah. we could. They could have done, well, maybe the Observatory or definitely the Belly Up or yeah. wherever, you know. And, yeah, it's like, you know, Mike Kennedy. It's funny. Uh, at that the Balboa Park show, I went back to talk to those guys. And Mike Kennedy and I are pretty good friends over the years. I don't see him very often anymore. And I... I went up to him and said, dude, how are you, man? It's good to see you. And he goes, he goes, oh, man, I'm sorry we didn't play the Casbah. I'm like, no, this is what are you yeah, talking about. This yeah. is amazing. <clears throat> and we're doing two Casbah shows in a couple months. So, so you already knew, huh? Because they were like, this is it. And everyone's yeah. like, you know. Well, we had, yeah, we had been talking yeah. about it, you know, and their agents like, yeah. Well, they, they, the thing that happened to get that them playing again is they, they got a new manager. I named Juan Carrera, who managed Modest Mouse. That's how I actually met him. As a, he was like a tour manager from bands in Chicago, I met him in Chicago years and years ago. 
But then he started being a tour manager. Then he started managing bands. So somehow him and John Reese hooked up, uh-huh. and he started. He just managed Rocket and Jay. Oh, okay. And he had told me on, on like the recent, yeah, the year. most recent, yeah, like uh-huh. probably four or five years ago, yeah. whenever they started playing again. Uh-huh. And he was in town, and he was at the Casbah one night, and John was there, and I was talking to him. I was like, "What? What, what are you doing here?" He goes, oh, "I'm going to start working with these guys." I'm like, "Oh, really? Does that mean Jay? Who's going to play?" He goes, "We're working on something." This was like. Before, yeah, eight, six or eight months before, uh-huh. so he said they were going to do some, but I had no idea what, you know. Yeah. And then that park thing came up, it yeah. was pretty amazing. It was crazy to go to that. It was like, I'm not religious, but it was like a religious experience. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Um, I agree. Maybe the timing and the sunsetting, yeah, the time of day was yeah, perfect, so and the, just the amount of people and the there woman that, that played the organ, the organ was yeah. cool. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I couldn't hear her at all. No, you, but just the idea of her up there playing <laughs> yeah. that thing, you know, it was sick to like see John, like. And her communicating yeah. with telepathy, you know, musical telepathy, yeah. like just looking at each other and being like, here it goes, you know? And I was like, damn, that lady is like playing like the most, because I mean, they're not like a punk rock band, but they're, it is punk. It is so oh, fucked up, <laughs> you know, like yeah, to watch him like, you know, playing up, uh, you know, these discordant chords and I don't know what she could play on that organ that would match that, you know? <laughs> um, Something, man. It was cool. Yeah. That, I mean, just from like a, there was so many things, like a cultural standpoint, uh, a musical standpoint, um, and you know. An aesthetical standpoint, there was so much aesthetics happening with yeah. like the like again, like the sunset. I remember and, seeing the Dang up on the little catwalk they had yeah. at the very top yep. at one point when the sun was going on. Dang was up there taking a picture. Yeah, like, Man, look at that. He's guy. the one that like, he put it together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's incredible. Yeah, yeah. I, I hope for more stuff like that. I mean, I think like in my in my life in San Diego, there's only been a handful of things that were just like that big. It's of a funny, deal. you know. So after that happened, um, Dang and I. We're meeting with a guy who was in charge of the San Diego Centennial, I think, or by Centennial. What either? I think a hundred year anniversary thing. Yeah, it was 2015, right? Uh-huh. So they had big plans to do other stuff in the park during that year, the rest of the year in 2015. And so Dang and I were meeting with this guy named Mike Ruiz, who's he's a music fan, and but he's in charge of events at the park or in some, or some capacity and we sat down with him a couple of times and he said yeah we maybe want to do another one of those kind of things we want to do some other events around the park that would simulate the feeling and the the aesthetic and the yeah. music that that you know that event pulled off and it never came to fruition they kind of huh. just the whole centennial thing in the park just I don't know if you remember, they had hired a committee from L.A. Uh-huh. to put the Centennial together in San Diego. Whoa. And they spent a shit ton of money, like three or $400,000 on studies and, and committee meetings. And, and then the whole thing just disbanded. And they never did. I don't think they did anything to celebrate the 100 years of San Diego yeah. in the park like they were supposed to. Was that part of that? No, that no. wasn't part of it. That oh. was before. So this came about after that that they were talking about sure. it. Yeah. But I was like, when I was there, I was thinking two things. I was wondering, like. People like people that were just like not there, knowing that it was going to yeah, happen. Just in or, the park. Yeah, yeah. we're probably like, why are all these people here? Oh, yeah. And then like, why the hell is this noise happening? Because right. you know, mu- musically, it's it's beautiful to you or I, but to regular people, it's, they're it's probably like, this is a garbage. bunch of noise. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Um, yeah, it's like, why would they let this happen in the park? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I, I, I w- it would have been so amazing to you know, it'd be rad like if like I don't know, like noisy or someone was there, like re- like interviewing people like that weren't there right, to right. see that you know to like yeah. get their. T- Take I'm surprised on it, you know. did. Um, but I don't think anybody knew what was the magnitude of that. Yeah, you know, yeah. so you wouldn't be able to project. Right. Yeah. Um, like, okay, we're gonna have a whole bunch of cultural <laughs> clash here. Yeah, because that you know there, and especially like with the the um the Oregon Pavilion and and you know I mean I've gone to those events they have they're just the regular ones. Yeah, they're, they're cool. wonderful. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. they're like with the donors of this and that. And, you know, this is like the bourgeois, and so you know, and there's people even the people that go to them typically like they're out there with their nice wine, and I'm all like, right, the old picnic you know, basket yeah, and the yeah. whole deal. You and know, and I'll grab like you know vegan fast food from evolution <laughs> and my dog and we're sitting out there being like oh, i'm not part of, I, I can't donate you know but i wonder like what those people that are like i donated for this like right. you know like i wonder if yeah was, for like, the organ like there was some brouhaha about how much money the organ carol the organ player was yeah. getting paid like and i can't remember what the details were but there was a stink raised about she's getting paid this much only do this many shows a month and uh-huh. people were complaining about it you know it's like and they broke it down like, well, no, no, no. She has to main, help maintain that thing. She practices. Yeah. 
She puts on all these events. Yeah. It's not just showing up for an hour and playing the event. There's a lot <laughs> more work behind the scenes. So sure. That all died down, but yeah. It's, a it's, lot of people don't understand that what no, goes oh, they into don't. any they kind don't. of show. They don't. Yeah. You know, back when I was doing shows in the 80s, and we we kind of started out doing five, six, seven dollar shows. And after a certain while, bringing over English bands and stuff, we started charging ten bucks. Yeah. And so I had this nickname, Ten Buck Tim. <laughs> and there was this this kind of group of, uh, they were kind of uh, anarchist type punk rocker guys who put out this little zine. I forget the name of it, but they Ten Buck Tim, and they were like rag on it all the time and you wow. know my anytime so if, if once in a while i do an interview for some other zine and they'd ask me about it and i'm like well you know what shit go put your own show sure. on man charge yeah. charge three bucks i more power to you yeah. if you can get make it happen you know because nobody does realize all the things sure. you got to pay you know well you do but you know a lot of people that complain about it yeah. have no idea i mean a lot of it was like the the like sort of fugazi like no more than five dollars yeah thing, yeah, you know? yeah i mean i even tripped out i remember fugazi playing soma and that was crazy in itself. But I remember like thinking Was that like, the downtown one or the second location? Second location. Right. In Bay but, Park. Yeah. And I you know, and it was like, wow, so there's still the five dollar, you know, and and like And that's it's hard to pull off. Yeah. I it's mean you promoters. Got, yeah, promoters they aren't making I mean you're doing yeah. it just to do it. Do I mean it, yeah. we did a, a show with the Evens, uh, you know, him and his wife's yeah. band at a couple of years ago, we did a gallery downtown. He wanted to play in a gallery. So I found this this guy I knew had this place called the Cassius King Gallery. Small place. We booked it in there, and it was like $5, I think. And, you know, the band made maybe $450. Uh-huh. We had to pay the sound guy 100 bucks. Yeah. And pay a door person, and you know there, that was it. Yeah, but was, you know yeah. I didn't care. Yeah, we just wanted to do because it. you did it. So then, a couple, like probably two years ago, he's doing. I think he was doing FYF, so he wanted to do a show down here. So we, I'm saying, well, we need to do it somewhere a little bigger. Let's do it at the Irenic. And I remember having numerous conversations with Ian on the phone about the ticket price, you know. And I'm like. Um, eight dollars, you know, because the, the ironic has certain fixed expenses. Sure, you know, the, the rent is this, the the staff is that. We aren't going to have to advertise or do anything else, but these things we got to at least cover those. Yeah. <laughs> and you guys need to make some money too. So I remember, like, eight bucks is going to be reasonable. This nobody will bat an eye at eight bucks. Yeah. He's like. You sure? I mean, you know, I mean, yeah, and he, he was really. This is like in to, recent times. This was two yeah. years ago. Yeah, eight bucks. Yeah, yeah. And so I'm like, I'm I'm reading off all the other shows we have there and yeah. what the ticket prices are. You know, yeah. this one's 12, this is 15, this is 17. And I think we had three phone conversations about it before we finally, okay, let's go with eight yeah. bucks. You know, yeah. and it was, nobody batted an eye. Yeah. Know? Yeah. It was cool. I, um, I think times have changed. Definitely. Uh, yeah. Definitely. I mean, everything costs way more than, you know, even three years ago. So, but yeah, he was a, he's a cool guy. He, he sent me a postcard afterwards. Thanks for putting on the show. Wow. You know, he's a pretty nice guy. That's great. Yeah. That, it's, he's it an is, awesome dude. It, there's only, but that's the thing is there's only a handful of people like him right. that can, that can say, no, I'm doing this. Cause right. anybody else would be like, well, you're not going, you're not going yeah, on tour. Yeah, we're not going to do it. Yeah. yeah. You're not going yeah. on tour. You can't afford to go on tour. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I mean, it also is too like, in Evans is just him and his wife, right? Yeah. So, so it's the two yeah. of them. They travel, they had a kid and they yeah. brought their kid with wow. them and they're traveling in a, a little car you yeah. know they've got tiny amps and yeah a little everything fits in the car so yeah not to keep talking about ian but i i love that there's that quote where like he um they were they were offered like a million dollars to play coachella or something fugazi and he said the next time fugazi plays it'll be for free in dc and i was like that's so righteous yeah, that's but awesome. it's like yeah but it's they can say that like i there's not most people everyone i play with is like we can't you know i can't turn down a million dollars, right? You know, million dollars. You can play a lot of free shows for their ever thereafter. You yeah, know? exactly. Yeah, that's the thing. Like I always think, like if I ever hit that million dollar point, which I probably won't, um, I'll just do free shows from you know, yeah, like, for at least a couple years after that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it'd be wild to think about that. Um, but it is. It must be nice to have that luxury. Yeah, you know? exactly. It's it's big to be able to stick to your ideals. You know, I mean, it's so hard to. Yeah. Huh. Well, that's you know again going back to your your specific um, ideals and, and the and the thing that you've created opposed to like other promoters. Not to rag on people, but sure to rag on people like Lynn from Soma. You know, it's like night and day. Like uh, everyone that talks yeah, about playing those two different. Yeah, and it's it's the philosophy we've had. I, I said this earlier. It's like treat people like you'd want to be treated. Sure, that's it. It's yeah. real simple. You yeah. know, it's yeah. so easy and. 
I have, you know, that's, that's what my staff is instructed sure. to do. Sometimes they lose track and got to, you know, yeah. have, say, have words with them and stuff, but mostly they're all on the same page. I got thrown out of the Casbah once. And then when? You, you, when? Had, you had called me, actually. It was great. It was, um, it, it, it was the Melvin, I mean, sorry, it was Melt Banana and um, Das Oath. And uh, there was like a, a pit, and this guy like threw me, and I pushed him, and I, and, and it was totally fine. The security was like, "You're out of here." A, a bottle broke, and uh-huh. I was like, "It's cool, fuck it, I'm gonna leave." And I remember like just being like, "It's fine," because I had been on tour with those bands, I, uh, I guess, or I don't know, whatever reason. I was like, "It's cool," and I started driving home, and you had called me, and you're like, "You can come back." They made a mistake, and I was like, "It's fine." I'm gonna, <laughs> really? I'm gonna go home, man. It's fine, because uh, it was like a big deal. I was like, "I got." Well, I remember out of the one time when uh, years ago, Rocket. Rocket was playing, and uh, Greg Jacobs, their manager, had his offices in the building next door to Casbah. Oh, yeah. It was back in the heyday yeah. when they were on the big label, and there sure. was money, yep. and Gary Hustwood had his little office over there. Remember that? Yeah. The publishing thing he yep. did? So Greg Jacobs' office was there, and Rocket was playing, and I think they were doing doing two nights, and there was a pit. Do you know Mark Garris? Yeah. Yeah, so Mark Garris got thrown out. Him and Pete Reichard were super tight buddies and good. And so the band got all all worked up after the show. Like, you can't throw our friend out like that, Mark. You know, Mark Garris, he's part of our yeah. team. And, you know, Andrew was the our guy back then, you know, tall Andrew, bald guy. Remember yeah. For us? yeah. So the band all went next door to Greg's office to have a meeting about it and talk about oh, it, yeah. you know. And they came back and, like, you know, we had to tell them. Andrew told them what happened, and they're like, "Okay, well, yeah, everything's cool. I mean, we're gonna we're gonna play the next show tomorrow, but you know, we gotta be careful with the bouncers and stuff." It's like, you know what, the guy Mark well, Mark Garris was a jackass sure. at the time. <laughs> you know, he probably does, uh. definitely deserved to get thrown out. I'm yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. But you know, just the weird things like that. Where yeah. you know, I mean, I guess we do try to be conscious of those situations where eh, maybe somebody didn't do what we thought they did. Sure. That's yeah. that's probably why I called you. I don't know. I've been thrown yeah. out for the right reasons and the wrong yeah, reasons. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Know? I mean, yeah. it's hard because we've thrown out people, you know, you throw out somebody and they've always got their story. And then there's story of the guy who threw him out, who, what he saw. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a tough thing. Sure. I mean, we've had people do shit like, push people really hard and start fights and you go up try to talk to him they turn around they slug yeah. one of my guys yeah. and he slugged the guy back <laughs> yeah. and turned out and then the guy fell and hit his head yeah and had to call an ambulance and they called the cops and they arrested my door guy Whoa. My, my bouncer guy got yeah. arrested and the but then it turns out that the guy who he hit had like a 2.0 out blood alcohol level which is like twice as much as yeah you can stand yeah <laughs> and so the charges got dropped Whoa. on my guy uh-huh. but then the guy's suing he's still suing us it's been going on for oh, a year wow. and a half whoa so, yeah it's crazy but the guy punched him first yeah he yeah. came up and punched him and yeah. so my guy was like feared for his life sure, and just sure. knocked him back yeah, and yeah. you know wow well, what are you gonna do well no one i mean a lot of people don't want to be responsible for them oh yeah for own. sure yeah for sure well cool man i guess that probably would be good for yeah for this all right. For this round. Yeah. Okay. That was Colton Culture with Justin Pearson. And Luke Henshaw.